0: Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, her top five Clifton strengths are ideation, maximizer, futuristic, activator and positivity, Leanne Hughes.
1: and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you create unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. Thank you so much for tuning in. If it's your first time here, welcome to the First Time Facilitator podcast. Uh, What's funny about this podcast in the name is that it's really for all facilitators, not just first time facilitators. So you're in the right place. Whether you're running workshops, training sessions, virtually face-to-face, you are in the right spot. Now, If you have been listening to the show for a while, this podcast is a little different to other facilitation learning and training podcasts that really focus on the facilitation side of things, the craft. But I like dipping my toes into the business side of facilitation. It's something that I was looking for when I was working internally, running all the workshops and thinking, gosh, what would it take for me to go out on my own? I know there are many of you listeners who are exploring or tossing up the idea of, of going out on your own. And look, I'm 18 months into my own journey, and I always love the opportunity to discuss with a guest who has more expertise in this area on what it takes to do that, to build your business and maintain your sanity. Now, before I introduce today's amazing guest this week, uh, Yuri and I, so where are we? Mid-October 2020. Uh, we are launching our free mini course. It's called From Zoom Teague to Zoomtastic. Three videos sharing what to do before, during and after your virtual workshops. Now these videos are super, super sharp and quick and just we just pretty much brain dumped and riffed on them. Uh, that's on this week and it's a free lead-in so you can get to see what you're, you know, and I like facilitating and we're also launching Virtually Possible 2.0 next week. That's the 16th of October. Now it's version 2.0 because we've learned a lot from version, version 1 and we actually got on the podcast in episode 140 to reflect on the first program and our experience co-facilitating that. Now, if you're keen for Zoom, Teague to Zoomtastic, or getting on the wait list, head on over to join.virtuallypossible.co. That's join.virtuallypossible.co. All right, now let's move on to today's rockstar guest. Her name is Deb Zahn, and she is a sought-after consultant with 10 years of successful consulting under her belt. I've got a long way to go, like 10 years. As a go-to source in her market, she routinely brings in six and seven figures a year and has built a steady, reliable pipeline of work. Her consulting methods turn her clients into her biggest fans and best marketers. And that's what we want as facilitators, right? Our participants to turn into our raving fans. And they come back to her time and time again and continually send her new clients. As a consultant, Deb is especially known for her ability to cure decision-making disorders with individuals and groups. And she's also learned a reputation as the closer, the consultant who can get high value contracts with hard to get clients. Over the last decade, she has coached countless new consultants and helped them fast track their success. Recently, she helped a consultant get their first contract worth over $100,000 only three weeks after Deb started coaching them. Now, Deb is a host of the Craft of Consulting podcast, which features other successful consultants who share their strategies and insights about building their consulting businesses and delighting their clients, as well as consulting clients who share what makes some consultants rise to the top of their hire list. Deb is an absolute delight to talk to. So, you know, I'm sure that energy will transfer when you listen to this, and I hope it does. Uh, it's just such an enjoyable conversation. I ask the questions that I hope you're curious about. Uh, because a big, you know, pain points for me in uh, in my business as well, moving forward. So in this episode, we talk a lot about how to define your value to help your clients achieve the results that they want. How you can learn to pivot conversation and keep it on track, focusing on value, not price. It's kind of like a sequel to the conversation I had with Alan Weiss. How you can create boundaries to create your work life balance, and what you can do as a facilitator or consultant during COVID, what we're going through now. Now, you can find out a lot more about Deb, her podcast, links to everything that she does in the show notes for this one over at firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash episode 142. And of course, as always, if you'd like to continue the conversation when the podcast is over, join our community of over a thousand global facilitators in our free Facebook group called The Flipchart. You can also watch those videos, Zoomteak to Zoomtastic over at join.virtuallypossible.co. And that's it from me, right? Let's get into this conversation. Let me know what you think of it. Tweet me, send me a message on LinkedIn. Just get in touch. Okay, all the best. Now onto the show. I am absolutely delighted to welcome onto the First Time Facilitator podcast, Deb Zahn. Deb, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's absolute delight. I loved, like when I went onto your website, I just like, you're someone that I want to connect with more, learn more from. And the best way to do that is just to have a chat to you, find out more about your life and share that with everyone else while we're here. So your story, what are the sort of pivots that led you down to to the work that you do now? And can you explain what you do, what your services are for listeners?
0: Yeah, you bet. So I am currently two things as many of us are in life. So I am still a practicing consultant, and I am a consultant in the healthcare world. And for those that don't live in the U.S., where we make very silly choices about healthcare, (laughs) it needs a lot of help. (laughs) So that's where I've been working for the last decade is as a consultant. But what happened is I started at a small firm when I became a consultant a decade ago. And what would happen is the same thing that happened to me, is they hired really smart, wonderful professionals, and then said, go be a consultant. (laughs) And of course, being a consultant and doing the business side of consulting is a completely new area where you need more knowledge and skills. You don't just naturally do it. I sure did not naturally do it. So I decided through that process That I wanted to help people make that transition into professional life, to becoming a consultant, and if they can, skip the mistakes that I made and so many consultants make, so you can feel good and have the life and livelihood that you want much faster. Oh
1: gosh, it's such a need. Um, I certainly, because I made the jump from corporate to running my own show and I don't even know what I call myself at the moment, facilitator, trainer, consultant, sometimes it just depends sort of what the client wants and spinning those sort of plates. But often I, because I made that sort of jump and decided to go out on my own, a lot of people internally who get frustrated with their job and you know have that entrepreneurial itch and can't make their decisions. They often, yeah, come and running and go like, how do you do this? So when you get asked that question from your peers that are experts and, you know, just winning at what they do and they're like, oh, maybe this consulting gig thing could work, where do you even start with that?
0: Yeah, so what happened when I was at the firm is that happened over and over again. So new professionals got hired all over the country and invariably someone would say, "Oh, you should talk to Deb, Deb will help you with that." So I got enough information about what the struggle is right at the beginning and I know what I struggled with. So usually what I say first is you have to define your value. And your value is what results you can help a client achieve. And what often happens is people in the professional world, I mean, our experience was our resume. It was our our job title. So what happens is people become consultants and they go meet with people and say, oh, here's what I did and I did this and I'm passionate about this. And they make it all about them because they don't know what else to say. So the first thing I say is stop and define in very precise terms so that you can articulate it to a client in your market who you want to do business with, not anybody, but a client you want to do business with, exactly what your value is and how you can help them achieve the results they want. So you have to define your value relative to, what their pain points are. So what are the things that are causing them to suffer? What are the things that they hope to accomplish or that they dream about that you could potentially help them with? That's where you start and everything flows from that. But you have to nail that down at the beginning. And I didn't. So what happened they is <laughs> exactly. So back in the day, you know, when we used to be able to see other human beings, <laughs> I would go have lunches and drinks and tea and everybody liked it. They had a great time, but I never got any business because I didn't know how to articulate my value relative to them and that's and that's sort of the second thing is I didn't know how to pivot conversations so that they would be focused on what I could do to help them. And I had to learn how to do that. Once I learned how to do that and I learned the skills related to that, getting clients became a whole lot easier.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to talk about how you went. That's probably, well, I'm certainly curious about that. But first of all, if you are listening, you probably can't see me. I'm sort of grinning and laughing as Deb talks <laughs> because for the last two weeks, I've actually been in that introspection stage of like, what am I actually doing? Because you're talking about me to a T. I left corporate and for the last 18 months, I've been doing what I did internally for that job. So like leadership yep. programs, things that I, you know, it's just, I'm naturally good at. And do I, am I passionate about it? Not sure. There's market need there. So I'll just do it. I've just been so kind of busy delivering. I've never really stopped to put my head above water and really consider it. And I love that you're talking about starting with the market need and the value, because I think we get caught in that trap of, yeah, what am I good at? And I'll just yeah. keep pursuing that. But actually, does that really help the client? And right. what, yeah, what problems do I want to solve? So I actually had a three columns. What am I good at? What am I passionate about? But I started with column three, what are the market needs? Where are the pain points? And that was actually a lot easier to start off with, to be honest.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then if you think about it, your job incorporated was probably the same as mine in all of the different places where I worked, which was a good chunk of what I did would be described as other duties as required. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. You know, because there was all, I was a firefighter for sure, because I was constantly putting out fires. You know, I learned how to do so much more than what my initial job description was. So if I start with the pain points and with the gain points, and things that they also want to gain... I can match that up with things that I do because I'm a facilitator as well, which, you know, rock on. (laughs) I love facilitators. But I also do a lot of other things and I do different versions of that. Mm -hmm. So it helps me hone in on things for which there is a demand in the market because that's the other piece is, I have clients who desperately need things, like desperately need it. It would make their life so much better. But if they haven't figured it out yet, such that they're willing to pay to fulfill that need, then it's not a market demand yet. So you also want to look for those things that folks are willing to pay for, because that's going to be so much easier than going out and trying to convince them they need something that they haven't embraced yet.
1: That's really interesting. And I agree with that. And I think there's a, um, if you look at even retail and restaurants, you often find restaurants that have like, there's a block of that are all in the same sort of area and it yeah. sort of creates that demand as opposed to one restaurant just being on its own you kind of that's want right. to create that feel yeah so it's related to that that's a really good point because I think a lot of people that are listening who are facilitators they do those uh, those areas I spoke about before leadership strategy innovation and like you hop onto LinkedIn you look at Amazon bookstores like everyone's written a book about those three topics. oh yeah you kind of think this is oversaturated what's your response to that how do you then pick a like a, a topic like leadership and go right
0: Well, I would, again, what you start with is a narrow, I always encourage people to start with some kind of a niche and just know you're not going to get locked into it. You're going to expand beyond that. So your niche could be a particular industry. It could be a particular sector. There's someone who was on my podcast who her niche is people. So it didn't matter what the industry was. She was good at at helping construct teams and doing leadership development. So she didn't focus in on an industry and sector. She focused specifically on what's the human element that I do that allows them to achieve a variety of things. Mm. But to start with something narrow enough that you can get your mind wrapped around it and you can develop statements about your value that are going to be clear signals in your market. So truthfully, I think your approach is exactly the right approach, is look at it from a limited number of dimensions. So what are the pain and gain points? What are the things you're passionate about? Because consulting, particularly as you're trying to get cooking can be tough. And so you at least have to love what you do. So I do think passion matters. I don't go and talk to clients about my passion because they care about their passions, So that's what I talk to them about. Yeah. But, and to also think of the things where you can describe results, because when you're new as a consultant, you you don't really have those case studies yet of what you've been able to achieve, but you can reference past work that you did. And so think about where you're able to brag about things that you did that actually achieved the results that are in the realm of what they care about. And I would start there. And then know that you're going to build out. So know that you're not going to get stuck there. That is
1: really reassuring because, yeah, you're right. Something about if we say that we're doing this, we feel like, I'm locked in. It's like, hey, guess what? I always got to remind myself, Leanne, you run your own business. Like You can make a decision if you don't want to be there anymore. <sighs> Yeah, but I think I'm just so indoctrinated in in companies where you make a decision, you just got to go for it and you can't change. These
0: are the annual goals. And so to even break that is tough. That's right. Well, and the reality is your market's also going to break through that too. So when I started, I started with a particular, my niche, because healthcare is huge, it means a whole lot of different things. So I picked a particular sector where I had accomplishments that I could point to. But I now work with all kinds of different sectors within healthcare because what happened is I started to get a reputation, and I didn't do enough probably to cultivate this, as if there are a group of people, either different entities or within an organization, and people are grumpy and they don't like each other, they can't make decisions, bring Deb in, (laughs) and Deb will help them make decisions and move forward. So I started to joke that what I do is I cure decision-making disorders. people find oh, that very funny because awesome. and it's very memorable. And it, that's right. And it, and it sticks with people. And so what I had happened is I started to get a reputation for being able to do that. And so people in other sectors started reaching out to me because everybody has that kind of drama. So I didn't get locked in because people recognized that some of the things I could do were applicable in other settings. Amazing. I just
1: love this story. It's like perfect timing for me. I love these podcasts. Oh good. Like <laughs> I'm just so getting glad. such value and I'm sure everyone, everyone else will as well that's listening that has this as an aspiration. Now you mentioned that you left and then you were kind of a bit in murky waters. You were networking, but you weren't really able to define your value. Then you got really clear on that. From that process, you also talked about use of pivoting language. Was that it? Or yes. working. So how did you develop that
0: skill? So first you have to diagnose it. You have to recognize that that's what the problem is. So I would, after, you know, every time I would go out and I was just filled with tea and that largely was the outcome as I was waterlogged. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and I would stop and think, okay, let me do sort of a play by play. And see what was the problem, and I realized the problem was is I didn't know how to pivot. So I had to diagnose it first, and then I had to sort of look at it and say where could I have pivot? You know, where in that conversation would that have made sense? So we're talking about the person's kids, we're talking about their dog, I'm talking about kittens, like all that's happening. Is there a different way that I could have thought about it and approached it? And then I came up with. Sort of two strategies. So the first is that I had to do my homework because I was largely meeting with people that I already knew and I had some experience with. And I didn't think that I had to do homework to prepare for that meeting. And that was, you know, kind of a rookie move. So what I did is I would look up you know, what did not personal stuff, unless I had a personal relationship, because that could be creepy, but <laughs> I would look up what's their organization or company doing? What's the language that they're using to talk about things? What are the things that they're publicly saying that they care about? What are the things that are happening around them that I know about that are either going to be an opportunity or threat for them? So I Dove in and I did homework before I ever met with them. And then I developed what I call bridge questions. And bridge questions are essentially those pivot questions where I would ask them a question that would now we're in a conversation about what they need. So for example... In the U.S., there's a major shift in how healthcare providers are getting paid. And so the first client I ever got, my bridge question to her, which I prepared ahead of time, was, this is the major shift that's happening in the market. How have you folks been preparing for that? So now we're having a conversation about needs. And what came out is she said, we feel totally behind. We don't think we're really on top of it. And now we could have a conversation with what they need. And I had a whole series of those types of questions that would enable me to turn the focus back to them, turn it back to their needs. And now we're obviously talking about work. And that enabled me to say, you know, one thing you could consider is X. and Or I could say, you know, that's something I could potentially help you with because here's what I'm thinking. And so I would give them value Because they got to give a little taste. It's like a, you know, a sample at a grocery store. (laughs) You need a little taste and then you're going to say, oh, that's, that's really good. And then I was able to have a conversation and pivot towards, I'd love to help you with that. And they're, and they're primed and they're now ready to have that conversation.
1: Oh, it's so clever. And I love that you've got sort of, not a script, but just these these backup sort of bullet points that you can use to direct. For facilitators, it's called a segue uh, sometimes. Yes. Like in, you do it as well. You host your own podcast oh, yeah. in workshops. If we're looking at, if I'm like, oh, time, and then I sort of cleverly segue, it's kind of subtle, but it That's just, right. It That's just right. So us as facilitators it should be something that we get comfortable with. We can even practice in our workshops, that art of That's segueing right. a conversation and connecting two points to the outcome.
0: That's right. Facilitators are the perfect people to do this because if you think about it as you are facilitating that conversation towards a good end and not just a good end for you, but a good end for them, because if you really understand their pain points, you want to help them. So you're just facilitating getting to help them. And if you think of it that way, you can pull the same tools out of your toolbox. Uh, Facilitating,
1: yeah, to help them. That's brilliant. Thanks, Deb. Yeah. Really cool frame on that. So talk about facilitation. How much do you sort of do it? What does your business kind of look like? I know you also help consultants with this. Are you still working with corporations or are you more focused on
0: individuals now? In the craft of consulting, which is my business helping professionals become consultants, it's largely individual. So I help individuals. So, you know, I was co- I was coaching someone who's a brand new consultant and she, you know, had this organization that was asking for a proposal. She was going to go in kind of low, (laughs) suggest one thing. And I helped her through the process of thinking about how to tier her offering by three levels of value and to focus on value, not price. So three levels of value based on what you heard them say. And then how do you talk to them about value such that they understand that it really is about them and you're not just trying to jack up the price. It really is about things that they need and then what the price point is for those. And the good news is, they went with the highest (laughs) because also there's a psychology of people tend to at least go for the middle, but they went for the highest. And so, you know, she was going to go in and we got it over double what she was originally planning. So it's really just framing how to think about it, how to approach it, how to think about it from their point of view. So it's facilitation in that sense with an individual and sort of the coaching side of it. I am going to be doing an intensive weekend workshop where it's going to be, you know, about five or six people who need to figure out how to get clients. And I'll facilitate that step by step until they actually have a plan. But in the consulting I do, I do. So for example, I'm working with a group of different types of providers who are trying to come together and form a new legal entity and do something different for patients than what they do today. So what my job is, is to, and now it's all done virtually, but my job is to figure out And sequence, here's the decisions you need to make and when. Because everybody likes to jump ahead, and I'm like, no, 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 no. We're gonna start here because everything flows from that. So my job is to figure out sort of the order of decisions they need to make. And then when I'm in a room with him, and then on the side when I'm having side conversations with people, figure out how we're ultimately going to get them to the outcome they want. And truthfully, a lot of times I have to start with. What are you actually trying to have happen? And that's, as a yeah. facilitator, I'm sure you've experienced this where people are like, we want to have a session, <laughs> but I yeah, well, don't know what they're trying to do. I went to a two day,
1: like I was running a two day strategy day and prior, I was like, so yeah, what's the, what kind of outcomes are you going to drive? And they're like, oh, we
0: just want to have a conversation. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no.
1: That was the response.
0: And I've heard that. I've heard variations of that. So usually what I do is I want to know and I want them to define precisely what the outcomes are. So what do they want people to know and do when they leave? And I even want to know, how do you want people to feel? Because it's as, as you know, a session is as much an emotional experience as it is an intellectual experience. Mm -hmm. And we want to Do you want them to feel calmed? Like, yes, there are adults in charge and we're heading in the right direction. Do you want them to feel energized? Do you want their anxiety to go down? Like, what do you want that experience to be? Mm -hmm. And so I always, always, always start with that.
1: Yeah. I agree. It's all about the, um, I, so the rational outcomes, like the actual, like what is it that you want, like that's there and the experiential, like what kind of, what kind of experience do you want to have? And I think, that's yeah, right. that whole design thing comes into it. Now we had um, Alan Weiss on the show quite a few episodes oh, yeah. ago. I was actually talking, I was saying, oh look, because he does all this marketing and I was like, how do you do it? I've been heads down and Deb, like even us getting this interview together, it was like, okay, this, these are some times it's very limited because I'm just doing so much of that delivery. Right. You talk about Consultants having a great life as well and managing the time that we spend. What are some good ways of doing that? I know that the, you sort of don't really work on a Friday, and I do not. <laughs> <You're> not like,
0: <laughs> it's Friday here in Australia, I'll be doing a bit of work. So, how do we create those boundaries? So the first thing is, I define what matters to me. So it's hard to set boundaries if you don't know why you're setting them. And so one of the reasons I switched from working at a firm to an independent consultant is I wanted to spend more time with mom. So we moved my mom close to us. She's right up the road from us. She, we can wave at her from our front door. And I... Don't want to do what I saw a lot of people do, which is they wait until it's all doctor's appointments and logistics. She kayaks and she bikes like she's this crazy She She's turned 80. She's amazing. She puts me to shame. But that's when I want to spend time with her. So I had to know what my why was about why I want to have that life. And then... Techniques and strategies can flow from that. I have found if I just jump to techniques and strategies and I have nothing supporting those, that's meaningful to me. I am so creative at like slipping and and going back to my old ways. So that's the first thing. And then the other thing is I have an operating principle that I should do what only I can do. And so essentially what that means is there are things that other people are much better suited to do than I am, even though I could do it. I should be using my time for what only I can do, and that is creating content that's meaningful to people, doing my podcast when it's consulting, it's getting business closing deals, and serving my clients. So I have someone who handles my social media. It's me, it's still my voice, it's still the things that I want to say, but do I really need to be scheduling it? No, No, I don't. I have a virtual assistant who is. I'd love her probably as much as my husband at this point. (laughs) Makes My life so much easier. Don't tell him I said that. But she does a whole lot of things like, you know, handles my expenses. She creates systems for me. She, you know, I use a project management software. She handles setting all of that up because I don't have to be the person that does that. There are some things that nobody else on my team can do but me. And that's what I focus my time on.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, Mike McAllowitz book, uh, Prophet First, where he talks about the queen bee role. And yes, you know, oh, I like, like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, queen bee. It's really cool because, like, all the bees want to do is the queen bee is there to lay the eggs, and they just
0: do everything it takes to help her do that. That's right and it's easier because then you're ultimately going to make more profit because you're focusing on those things that are about generating revenue as opposed to me figuring out why my scheduling system isn't quite working or how can I get Zoom to do this. I don't need to be the person that does that. I have someone that can actually handle that for me and free me up to do the things that only I can do. Because if I don't do that, then all of that time fussing around with things that I'm not very good at and I don't enjoy, that's time away from my family, that's time away from my mom and that's not how I want to set my life up. Gosh. So how
1: soon after you started your business did you get support? Was it, because I do have a virtual assistant, but I, I could definitely give her more and it's always that case of just uh, delegation 101, which I sort of teach other people, but yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll just be faster, I do it myself and then it's just thinking like short-term, short-term and not that long-term. How soon did you get support and also hear horror stories of like you know people outsource things and I oh know. yeah yeah
0: I've had I've had those <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I waited too long I wish I had done it sooner I was at least smart so I waited probably maybe a year or maybe a little bit less before I decided and you know virtual citizen. what I was afraid of is that I wouldn't know what I wanted them to do and I would be spending money and it wouldn't be getting me anything. So I did, you know, because consultants, we love Excel spreadsheets. So I just kept a running spreadsheet whenever I was doing something that I didn't feel like I wanted to do, I would just throw it on the spreadsheet. And until I had enough there that I felt like, okay, I get what I could delegate. And, I'm, and I never had her do all of it, but it was my starting point. I lucked out with her. I mean, she was the first virtual assistant I went to. She's phenomenal. She's intrinsically motivated to do good things. Like I don't have to motivate her. She wants good things to happen. She thinks of new ideas. She's always thinking of improving. So I got lucky. I've had less luck with folks that I reached out to for marketing. I sort of finally found my right mix of folks and and I also had to learn what I needed. So I realized that in some ways I was using marketers as a crutch to like social media was going to solve problems that social media is not meant to solve. (laughs) And so I had to think more carefully about what do I actually really need and what do I think the purpose of doing these things are so that I just got clear. And, you know, at the beginning, you're like, oh, I need this. Oh, I need this. And then I had to find out, like, what do I actually need? And then what can I just get rid of? Like, there's some things I was doing. For example, I hate Twitter. Anybody who lives in the U.S. can guess why I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Even outside the
1: U.S. would Even know.
0: outside the U.S., you might know why. So I just decided, I think my last tweet went out yesterday. Like, I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. And I'm the boss. I don't have to. It's not going to make or break my business that there's a social media channel that I don't want to do. I don't do TikTok. Why? No one needs to see my dance moves. I need them to respect me. (laughs) So we're going to skip that. So I just had to sort through and get familiar with what do I truly need around me. And then I had to sort of figure out who the right people are and who is going to be a fit. And I now have a team that I feel really good about.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I really love that idea of the spreadsheet. Not only a case of, because it's a good way of capturing it, but also it's a nice way to, when you're doing it and going, oh, this is really annoying. At least you kind of feel a bit of safety knowing that you've captured that moment and you will work on it. Yeah, I, I called it my me. hate
0: this list.
1: <laughs> I'm going to call it that too. I,
0: <laughs> I did. I'm like, <laughs> I hate so this. Me. Let me put this on the list.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's So refreshing to know that other people feel the same way. Um, there's probably people in corporate that wish they could do the same thing and outsource half their job. <laughs>
0: uh, absolutely. I did things when, even when I was in executive positions, like, why am I doing this? I don't why? understand why I'm doing this. Yeah but that's all right. And you learn. And when you're on your own boss, you start to figure out who the right team around you is. And I always had people edit my podcast because they're just, there's, and I could do it. I now know how to do it because I know how to edit videos, but you know what? Deb doesn't need to spend her time doing that.
1: Yeah. I think I did for the first sort of 40 or 50 and now I've got a great guy, Diego. Good day, Diego. hope you're listening. Of course he Yay. is he's editing it, but yeah, he's been amazing and just It's just nice to then get this finished sound file back and it's all good to go.
0: Easy, easy, easy. Yeah, a really
1: important part of facilitation is communicating. And just from this conversation, I can tell you're a very confident communicator. You use analogies, you tell stories. How did you develop your communication skills?
0: Have you always been this articulate uh, I process things quickly, which can help. It didn't when I was a teenager, <laughs> I said things I shouldn't have said, but as I got older and I got more mature, then yeah, processing quickly helps because I can sort of pay attention to what's happening and process it quickly. But to tell you the truth, some of my communication skills comes from when I was, In my 20s, my job is I was a counselor at a group home for severely emotionally disturbed teenagers. So the weight of your words is very important in those. So these are girls who had been through horrendous things and the weight of your words were tremendous and you could escalate or de-escalate a situation based on it. You could cause harm without knowing it. So I was highly conscious of that and so i considered how i communicated more than you know most 20 year olds that i know and i think that was really sort of the start of it and then i just kept putting myself in situations where I had to give speeches or I had to do things. I was trained as a self-defense instructor for women. So suddenly I'm you know, doing trainings related to self-defense and I just kept honing my skills. And then I got curious and I started looking at what's the best way to do this and started to learn from others. I ultimately had a, had a job at Kaiser Permanente, which is a big healthcare system, my first healthcare job, and they trained us. I mean, we had to go through public speaking, facilitation. We went through a class that was just about how to deal with difficult participants. So I had the raw materials, and then they really, really honed it because they invested in the people who had to be the change agents that were out at their various facilities. Yeah, so good you were supported through that.
1: I just hear so many stories now of people being thrown sort of into really impossible situations without that support, without that level of training and it's tough. Like, I know you can get some answers on Google, but.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a
1: little bit different to them like yeah. supported and, and going through a group and, and being able to talk about it. The value that us as facilitators bring. So Debbie spoke about at the beginning when I asked about advice for people that are thinking of doing this and you talk about value proposition. If we're to, another question I also get asked by people who are leaving and, and wanting to start their own thing. I get this all the time, like even over Instagram, it's like, should I start, go with a business name or a go with
0: my own yes. name? So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? So I would say if you are an independent consultant, I would suggest people use their name. And the reason is, is that people hire people and it's the personal connections. Everything's based on relationships. So it's the personal connections you make that will get people to want to hire you. So the reality is human beings don't always make logical decisions. Mostly we make emotional decisions that we then rationalize. And so that is one of the reasons people like to make connections with another person. So even when I was at the firm and the firm had a name, I knew that I still had to have my own personal brand because that's who people were hiring. So people would hear the name of the firm, but when they talked about who they hired, they talked about hiring Debson. They talked about hiring my colleagues. So I generally, if you're independent, would go with a name, but then have a cool tagline that that encapsulates what you do. And that can be more of that branding element. If it's someone who's starting a small firm, Then you might want to have some fancy name that designates the firm and designates what you do. That makes more sense to me, but I think it's really a people-to-people connection, and that's what I have found works. And so my transition from the firm to being independent was relatively seamless because people were always hiring me, and that I worked at a firm was in some ways incidental. That's awesome. I agree with that. Actually, one of the best advice I got about real
1: estate was <laughs> 12 years ago, it was like, the best real estate you can buy is your own domain name. Yes. Um, yeah. And I bought it. I think it was LeanneHughes.com was about $5 back then, but yeah, locked it in. And just to add to that, I, it also gives that flexibility if you decide you want to you know, move into a different market or Fill a different need you can pivot your own name but
0: sometimes a business name is you're a little that's bit right so lofty. I called my business craft of consulting and for my actual consulting it's debzon but I called it craft of consulting because I wanted to capture the feel that this that consulting is as much a craft and art as it is a science and I wanted to capture that because I truly believe that excellence is how you build a business but An early mistake I made is that I didn't put myself in it enough. So I had some pictures of me. I said things about myself on the about page. But particularly when you do a podcast, and I'm sure you know this and you've experienced this, People want to have that relationship. So people weren't coming to Craft of Consulting. They were still coming to Debzon. And so I realized that I wasn't going to change the name because I still really liked it. But I had to put myself more in it. And when I did that, the responses were actually tremendous. Yep, could not agree more. What's so all that showing up? And I love craft of
1: consulting. It's like um I like alliteration, first-time facilitator. Craft of consulting, it's which I
0: it's love. Nice. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners, Deb? Well, the thing I would say is, you know, one of the questions I've been getting a lot recently is, you know, can you be a consultant during COVID? Now, obviously. Other countries have done a much better job than the US than controlling COVID. We got some problems here. But my answer is yes, you can, because people need help all the time. And their needs might change a bit during COVID, but people still need help. Companies need help, organizations need help. So if you focus on, you know, not just I facilitate, but what does my facilitation as a tool? What change does that create? And if you focus on what that change creates, then you can adapt what you're doing to help your clients. So if somebody's thinking about being a consultant now, it's actually not a bad time. There's plenty of consultants during economic downturns who figured it out because they figured out how to describe value that was relevant during an economic downturn. So you can still be very successful.
1: Isn't it interesting that the key there is being able to describe the value? Because I think a lot of us are like, oh, what's the expertise I'm going to bring? But it's all about packaging it in a meaningful way that resonates with the client. I think that's a really key thing that you've just brought up. So That's
0: right. Yeah. yeah. The, whenever I started at the firm, people would send out, and people still send them to me, these emails that describe themselves. And if you printed them, they would be four pages long. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically their resume in prose and... No one read them. And so even if I wanted to help them, I don't get it. So they didn't tailor it towards me. So if they wanted my help, I want them to make it low burden for me to help them. And I want it to be compelling for me to be able to help them. And, and if you make that switch to really being of service to who you want to serve, then everything gets easier. Uh, But the other thing I'd say is I do have on my website a whole bunch of free tools So for example, if you wanted to send out that initial email I have a whole template of the whole sequence for free Oh, and I have a lot of other great stuff Just go to so if I have some things under get help So I have some free webinar trainings on how to be a consultant and some paid things as well And then under start here. I have a slew of free tools that can can make your start much easier That's awesome. So where should we send them for those resources? So if you go to craftofconsulting.com and if you want the free stuff, go to start here. And if you want some of the trainings or the other ways that I can more directly help, go to get help and you'll get everything that you need. Amazing. Gosh, I think a lot of people are going to head over there, myself
1: included, after this call. Oh, good. Oh, good. I do like to help. That'd be awesome. And of course, connect. You're on all the socials apart from Twitter uh, and TikTok. Twitter, dead to me. Puh. LinkedIn's usually a good one for the facilitators that listen in. So we'll put that in the show notes as well Wonderful. and link to everything you've mentioned. It's been so great to hear your story and just to get all your tips that really first, like personally, super practical. Uh, for oh, good. This I'm so glad. Just, yeah, package their expertise and try life on the, on the bright side. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Thank you so much for being on the show. You've been awesome.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Hey, thanks so much for sticking around. You've reached the end of another episode of the First Time Facilitator podcast. Connect with the show at firsttimefacilitator.com or follow me on Instagram at Leanne Hughes to find out what I'm up to during the week. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with someone who will also appreciate the insight and make it easier for yourself and subscribe to the show in your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and chat to you next week.